Good morning, Dog Nation. We have for you today dog trivia and all your news and updates from the beginning of fall camp. As always, I'm Cheeto, and with me is my co-host Keegan. And welcome back to another episode of Dogs Off the Leash. It is getting closer to the season. Fall camp has officially started, but we wanted to start off today with a little bit of dog trivia just to make sure we got all these Bulldog fans and maybe some new Bulldog fans, given that we are national champions, uh, with, some, with some trivia just to make sure everybody is on their toes. So Keegan, go ahead and bust it out. We're going to run through some questions and then go over the answers because I know y'all be cheating and I just want to make sure that we're keeping everybody a buck. So go ahead and bust it open, Keeks. All right. It's good to be back, Dog Nation. It's uh, almost football season, and I hope you guys are as hype as I am. Now, our first trivia question is, who was the last player to have at least 200 yards passing, rushing, and receiving? All right. Who was the last player at UGA to have at least 200 yards passing, rushing, and receiving? Okay, that's the first question. Mm -hmm. First question. All right. I'll let, let that hit. And then in the last 30 years, you know, from 1992 to 2022 at UGA, who had the most rushing yards in one season? Okay. That is uh, – those are my questions for the day, Cheeto. All right, so we're moving on to moving on to number three. We're gonna hit it quick. All right, outside for the University of Georgia, outside of Florida, Georgia Tech, and Auburn, who is UGA's other official rival? Outside of Florida, Tech, and Auburn. Number four, how many first round draft picks did UGA have come off the board in the 2021 NFL draft? How many draft picks in 2021? And question number five for my salty for my salty Bama fans in the national championship win over Alabama. How many points did UGA win by? How many points did UGA beat Alabama by in the national championship game? All right, Keegan, go ahead and run over your answers real quick. All right. So. First question, who was the last to have at least 200 yards passing, rushing, and receiving? Do you know the answer? No. Okay. All right. That would be Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winning champion, Pittsburgh Steeler, Hans Ah, Wolf. I like that one. Okay. Could have guessed. In, guessed. in his senior season, gotcha. they became so depleted at the quarterback position that Hans Ward, in fact, became their starter. So not only did he start as a receiver and kind of like – uh, he was kind of like a Percy Harvin type player where they'd have him running kind of like Debo is doing uh, over in San Fran right now. He was kind of the do-all player, and then he ended up becoming quarterback because I think they were down to like their third stringer ended up getting hurt like halfway through the season. And then Hans Ward finished, I, I believe, with like right under 1,000 yards. So 
Shout out to Heinz Ward. Dude, Shout out a beast. to Drake. Uh, an amazing player for those who uh, missed the boat on that. Just uh, hopefully you're you're all Madden or when we get a college football game back, you can uh, put your put your laces on and be Heinz Ward. Then the next question, number two, who had the most rushing yards in one season in the last 30 years for UGA? Did you know this one by chance? I had, a, I had a pretty good guess. 30? Yeah. Um. I feel like this might be like a sneaky, a sneaky one. I'm going to say Garrison. Okay. So you're actually correct. Ooh. But you only, you only get, if this was a test, I can only give you half credit because both Garrison Hurst and Nick Chubb had a total in their respective best seasons of 1,547 yards. The same numbers? Deadlock tie for, for and let you know let, we can we can go back to the film and do a <laughs> calculate for errors but yeah as it's listed in the last 30 years both Nick Chubb and Garrison Hurst are tied for 1547 yards so yeah it was just a shot shot in the dark and to be honest I asked I asked several of my diehard listeners to the podcast I asked everybody like hey give me a few questions and I was I mean not upset just kind of surprised that everybody went record record no record trivia or like who had a thousand yards here a thousand yards here even some people asking me or giving me these questions that don't even know the answer to it it's like chill out <laughs> like we're trying to, we're trying to have some like actual participation in the trivia but I, I like those um could have guessed the first one um but the second one yeah shot in the dark so I, I like those thank you for those keys and going on to number three four and five Outside of Florida Tech and Auburn, who is UGA's other official rival? Not, not some of these, you know, every now and then type of teams. But Keegan, who who is that other rival? Do you know? I think I know. Um, can I can I answer? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, absolutely. I would go with Clemson. Thank you. No. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to, again, make sure that we're clear on this. Clemson is the other official rival. Yes, certain parts of the state of Georgia do consider Tennessee to be a rival. Alabama, we have our thing with them through our championship pursuit. South Carolina, we had a little thing with them in the East, but they are not official rivals. You'll see them listed on some kind of basic websites. But as far as Georgia fans go, it's Florida, Tech, Auburn, and Clemson, which UJ is currently trying to renew, given that we just started the series, home and home series with them. We did it back when Todd Gurley was here, 2014-ish. So, so yeah, 70 miles apart, first hey. meeting in 1897. Uh, exactly. a, a one to remember. Number four, and this one should be fresh on the minds of UGA fans. How many draft picks, how many first-round draft picks did UJ have in 2021? Keegan? I know this one is as well, I believe. Um, go ahead and give the answer there. So this one is five. And what makes it significant is it was all from UGA's uh, highly touted number one ranked defense from the championship season. And it was the first time in history that five players from one team from the same side of the ball went in the first round, uh, starting with Trayvon. Uh, yeah, Trayvon number one by the Jags last year. And then would, number five. Hey, yeah. I would say, though, I would just say that I think that number should have been six. 
you know, I, I think it should have been because our best linebacker didn't go until round number two, you know, so there's, we'll lay that out there too, but sorry to, sorry to step on your toes. No, no, you're good. You're good. I like that. I think that's some good context to give there. And then the last one, I just wanted to honestly rub some salt in the wound. Cause I know there's been a lot of back and forth between Bama and UGA fans, but the fact remains is that this year UGA is still the national champions and that we beat Alabama 33 to 18. So how many points did we beat them by? 15. That's two scores plus one for good measure. A little bit of trivia for you guys. Keep you on your toes coming into the season. And I figured that'd be a nice thing to do. So appreciate you, Keegan, hopping in on that with me. And now as we are 24 days away from kickoff in Atlanta, UGA has opened in the college poll and the coaches poll at number three. And Oregon opens at number 12. Obviously, one of our tougher games on the schedule, uh, out of conference. SEC East hasn't been what it usually is. That's, you know, a couple cupcakes. But, Keegan, what do you feel about the ranking for both UGA and Oregon coming into the opener? And as we always talk about on this show, what should be our goal going into the season and most seasons? Remind me what Oregon's ranked again. Oregon is ranked number 12. Number 12. I'd, I'd say that's probably pretty accurate. I feel like that's a fair assessment. I mean, you want to just come in, number one, but we did lose a lot of talent. And Alabama, who's going to be in the conversation some way or another, you know, they're returning. They're two best players, arguably two guys that could be both have a, you know, a case to be made at best this at their point. position in the country, yeah. to be honest. Like if you're yeah. real. For, for sure. Um, arguments for that and arguments for them both deserving of that number one pick, you know, come next year. So they have the, they have the guys and not to mention their, you know, top to bottom, most talented team on paper returning, especially. So, you know, uh, Ohio State, same same kind of thing. Uh, a lot of these things are the cookie cutter kind of predictions. I think Georgia deserves to be three and then moving into that big game with Oregon. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty. You know, Oregon Oregon might be a little overrated there. I, they they need to prove to me that they deserve to be twelve. I mean, they have the potential and a great coach in Dan Lanning to be a top ten team. I think uh, I think they have that kind of ceiling. Um, but to me, you know, they're more like a. I think they should. You know, they're more like a number seventeen kind of team to me. Just if I'm playing like conservative bets, right. Um, if I'm playing conservative bets, I put them at 17, and I think, you know, Georgia beats them pretty handedly if I'm playing conservative bets. But if I'm playing worry, war, uh, there's a chance, you know, so you're saying there's a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm playing that, then I look at, you know, a close ball game that could go down in Atlanta when we start the season with Oregon uh, potentially giving Georgia a run for their money. You know, I think that's in the cards as well, so – I think that's kind of the spectrum of what you look at and I'm excited for a good game, man. So yeah. I, I could, I think I agree with you on your assessment of both. Obviously, you know, it's Alabama and Ohio state doesn't matter what they do. You know, Clemson was that way for a long time after a disappointing season last year, no matter what some teams do, they're going to be number one, number two, just because of, you know, the cachet, the blue, the blue chip there, they are who they are. UGA yeah. number three. I think it's about accurate. Obviously, we don't get a lot of love from the media even when we win. I'm happy that we're just top four in this format because being top four means you make the playoffs. That's my only concern. 
With Oregon, number 12, I think it may be a bit high. Now, I understand why they're ranked that way. It's a, it, They've been one of the better West Coast teams past few years since USC has not really lived up to their regular standards. Mm-hmm. They do have a lot of returning talent, and they do have a lot of talent uh, just to begin with. They've been good on the transfer portal. Dan Lanning has done a good job picking up players and filling the holes that he saw on the team. I'd put them more right. at a, more of a 15, maybe like okay. a 15 to 17, like you're saying, so I don't disagree. Yeah. But for UGA, although we have a huge opener, which will be good for us since we got some cupcakes early on, I think our goal remains the same. Win or lose that game, ideally win. For us, it's win the SEC East, go back to Atlanta, probably playing Alabama or A&M, and, and that's always our path. So our goals don't change regardless of the ranking. Uh, but I think it's fairly accurate. I've heard some conversations about, oh, Georgia's not ranked high enough or yada, yada, yada. It, it doesn't even matter. doesn't even matter. Let's do what we do. And uh, that started with fall camp. Georgia actually had practice number six yesterday, the first practice in full pads. And Keegan, I just wanted to just wanted to kind of pick your brain going into fall camp. I know going out of spring, you know, people are get, we have a lot of people getting healthy at this time and hadn't seen them during the spring. Now's the time to where we really start figuring out who the best players on the team are. That depth chart starts to flush itself out kind of naturally. What are you hearing from fall camp and what are you looking for going forward as far as position battles, uh, individual players? What are you looking at? Who are you most interested in? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, if you're, you know, what would you say if you're, the Georgia coach, what, what is one of your biggest challenges? Like just asking, like, what would you say? I think I don't, and I, I don't really, I'm not really interested in like the national storylines. I know we've lost a lot of experience. Yeah. I just think it's time for the people who've been on the number two, number three spots in the depth chart. Right. You're just as talented as the people before you in some cases, even more so, but can you yeah. prove that you can play the game the way we ask those guys who just got drafted ahead of you. That's my question as a coach. We've got the depth and the talent. Can you pick up what, what they did well? Did you learn from them while you were at the number two position, number three position? That's right. Okay. See, that's, that's not exactly what I was going to say, but that's very in line with what I'm thinking. And, And that's that it's all about how do I take all this talent and make it work in a new way because there's missing pieces. I got to plug and chug and get everybody in there, you know, uh, with the best chance to succeed. And you have to kind of uh, juggle a little bit and work on is a balancing act of like getting the, you know, players, the most opportunities to do well in the field and also, uh, you know, get enough guys in position to where it's like, it's not really about like everyone getting touches for their feelings, but it's more about, you know, everyone getting touches to maximize what this team can do, you know, like figuring out that mix is, is it going to be a little bit more run this year? Is it going to be a little bit more deep passes this year? It's like, what, if you're doing your best job as a coach, I feel like you're looking at who you got and trying to kind of uh, personalize your approach year to year. And I think that's like the biggest thing about this time of the year is you can you can save yourself a lot of headache and headbutts um, if you can get a good your kind of outlook on the system going forward 
you know, uh, you don't want like two, you know, like last year it kind of took us a while to get chugging on offense. I mean, I know Clemson has like a great uh, defense. Before but, all the injuries, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the quarterback situation kind of mixed that up. But, again, it's like we had two good quarterbacks, but they kind of, I guess, really saw that, you know, Stetson, his ability to move his feet with what we had going with receiver, it was just working better. It's not that, like, really JT was any worse. I mean, in most cases, you'd say just sitting back and throwing the ball like a QB normally does, like JT head and shoulders above Stetson. That was kind of the consensus all season. Um, you know, and Stetson, to his credit, did a good job at that in the in the playoffs. But like we we really personalized our offense, did well. So that you know, this time of the year, that's my biggest thing as a coach is just you know, can we look at who we got? You know, the biggest right now we got three All American kind of level tight ends coming into the to the system. So really, it's like okay, if there's like five guys on the field catching the ball at any given time. Um, you know, who are my five guys? Well, you know, who would you put out there? For and the yeah, five guys? let me, like, let me, let me provide some context there because they're, yeah, they're there's please. again, these national storylines really creep into fans heads. And then they have these expectations that if it's not this way or a player doesn't produce like this again, it's a failure of some sort. So right. going back to last year, Brock Bowers, we had a bunch of injuries to wide receivers. Pickens was out most of the years. Dominique Blaylock was out all of the year. That's a lot of touches, a lot of production that we needed to have field. Darnell Washington last year was much more of a blocking tight end. He can catch and run. This was before we had Eric Eric Gilbert. Brock Bowers became the go-to guy because of necessity, and there was enough touches to facilitate him breaking all these records as a freshman tight end. Now, granted, he's super talented. Don't, don't get it twisted. But I feel like a lot of people have this perception that Brock Bowers is going to come out and do that again or more. And that's just <laughs> if there's one thing you learn from playing fantasy football, I know a lot of people knock it. It's about it's about opportunity and production and volume. Brock Bowers is not if he has that same type of season again, then this kid's just from a different planet. But with Arik, Eric Gilbert, excuse me, I keep calling him Eric. Eric Gilbert there, who is just as talented as Brock, if not more. Darnell's going to be involved. Blaylock's back, and we have a bunch of other young wide receivers who are ready to have breakout type seasons. And yes, Lad McConkey, AD Mitchell, uh, Rosemi Jack Saint, who I've been raving about for a while, but he's been he's not been healthy. Bowers is not going to have the same volume opportunity for the production that he has. So when his numbers drop back, it's not it's not that he's not any good anymore. It's it's about opportunity. Volume equals production. He's not I think, volume. I think if his numbers drop back, um, potentially that's a really good thing for the team. Because exactly. That could, that could mean that our passing yards overall and our passing, not that you look at statistics, but our passing right. offense in general is thriving more than it did last year. To the, to the point where so many other players are getting touches, getting those numbers week to week, that even Brock Bowers it isn't – which is he bad for a defense. To. Yeah, like luckily we just had this all-time tight end freshman because if you take Brock Bowers out of the picture uh, with like, you know, injury to George Pickens and just like, you know, Jermaine I guess is pretty solid, but um, overall, you know, that that offense is just on paper going to be way less effective. Absolutely. And, 
And now that, you know, we're bringing all these guys back, like, as you mentioned, it's like, um, it really begs into question, you know, getting those, getting the great guys on the field. And honestly, they have like a good, it's a good problem to have going into the season, having this much depth uh, with a returning, you know, seventh year, sixth year. Absolutely. And it's about, it's about team production. We want wins. We'd like everybody to win the Heisman individually, but realistically there's only one football. So that's, that's kind of how it goes. So on the tight ends, is there any other, well, let me hit with the position groups and battles that I'm looking for in particular going into fall camp for me, uh, I'm watching the offensive line, particularly here, because I believe we are set at the tackle positions with both uh, McClendon at right, Roderick Jones at left, and SVPG Cedric Van Pran Granger at center. Those are those are locks there, barring injury, and we got some depth. But I'm looking at the guard positions, both right and left guard, and mainly I'm looking for Tate Ratledge to come back healthy, which by all reports so far he is. Apparently Ron Corson had him working out over – both the spring and summer really stressing his foot injury where football practice now should be a lesser load, which it's always uh, Ron Corson's one of the best in the game as far as, uh, you know, those, the medical people looking over the team, uh, Devin Willick as well. He mm-hmm. figures in to be a factor. He's been looking for some playing time for a while. I think he's definitely got enough experience. If anything happens that where we can just plug him and play him. And then Warren Erickson, was right guard for the majority of last year since Tate Ratledge got hurt in the opener, the Clemson game. So a lot of confidence there, but I do want to see how that position shakes out. Uh, Keegan, any position that you are looking for uh, intently, fall camp? Well, the way I look at this is like, if I'm, if I'm managing the talent, going back to that five receiver thing, I got Brock, I got Darnell, and I got Eric. All, all starting really in a way like I, they might all play the same position but overall I'm looking at them like they're all like starter level talent you have to involve them at that kind of level so you know looking at you're asking me what'd you ask me exactly about the tight end position yeah what or battles or what position what groups position, are position, you focused on going into the position groups yeah so I'm really looking at that tight end group because a you saw an amazing season with Brock Bowers, you got Darnell, who to me, everyone's been high on. When you hear uh, the wing, he's got the wingspan of LeBron James as a recruit. You can't help but be like, damn, this dude's like, this is the kind of dude like on a video game you just would love to have. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I think looking at that position group, you got all three guys that really are starter level talent. I mean, there's, you want to look at like the D line and, you know, you think Jalen Carter is going to have a, a, you know, a great, uh, season coming in and just some of the other guys like stepping into place and you got you know there's question marks all around the team where talent has been lost but to me the position group I'm most interested in is just that tight end room you got three all-american level dudes uh prototypical ballers maybe the top three tight ends in the whole country all in one team at the same you know what I mean it's, it's crazy so I think that's just going to be really interesting to see how that they mix those guys in with the receivers and uh, what it ends up being. And, you know, Stetson's got to be licking his chops at, about that kind of concern for the, for the coaches. Um, but yeah, you know, that's kind of where I'm, I'm looking at. And then, you know, there's, there's other groups. I mean, any group where there's attrition and there's comebacks happening, um, definitely very 
right which leads which leads me to my next group and and just to wrap up i think that's great on the tight end position i I cannot wait to see what todd munkin does as far as mixing and matching mismatches putting him at tight end positions putting them out wide and putting them in in close it's going to be crazy but uh on top of that the linebacker position obviously is one that we need to pay attention to since we lost Nakobe Dean to the draft, uh, Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. This is another position where we've had people, whether due to injury or just being buried in the depth chart, to where we have a lot of talent here. They just haven't had the opportunity to show what they can do yet. That changes this season, starting with uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson. I think everyone's familiar with that name by now. He has been making plays, even when he was on the on the number two, number three depth chart, he was making plays and blowout games, turnovers, touchdowns. This kid's ready to go. And on top of that, you've got players like Smell Mondin, Tresman Marshall, Ryan Davis, those two who have been hindered by injuries the first couple of years. If they can stay healthy, they possess all the athleticism in the world. I know they've been sitting, learning the playbook, learning the plays, being taught by Glenn Schumann. So I expect when they get their opportunity, they should shine pretty quick because they've had a lot of time to learn the game and the athleticism has always been there. Uh, some other names to maybe look out for is Xavier Sori. He's a younger guy, but a, a promising, promising, a promising player that's looking to uh, make a name for himself. And that's what it's going to come down to. And all this to say that my faith is not so much in these players right now, but in Glenn Schumann, he's got a great history of finding the right players, teaching them how to play the position. And for some reason, that ends up getting people drafted very high. So, and what so a great I'm timeline. Confident. What a great timeline, too. He's got all these guys, like, year to year, they're always coming in at, like, the second or third years. They're not just babied. A lot of them have the red shirts or whatever, and they're getting game reps a yes. lot of the time throughout the season. So, yes. perfect recipe. So, and, and this, is how, this is how it happens. It happened to Alabama, and it's going to start happening at UGA players that you haven't heard of that aren't household names because they didn't play the season before all of a sudden they're one of the best players in the country you've got to start looking at it as and you hear about this every year on ESPN you see little tickers such and such team returns such and such starters or such and such percent we rotate on defense as is just because you do not start does it mean I mean Trayvon Walker went number one he didn't start until what his third or last season or, or second to last. I mean, that's how it is here. You've got mm-hmm. to wait behind other beast players because it's a, it's a progression. So it's, it's natural here. So just pay attention to that. There's going to be a bunch of household names that you haven't heard of. Doesn't mean they weren't there. Like, Oh, no one saw this coming. You're not paying attention because we've been talking about a lot of these guys for quite some time. They'll get their time. So, uh, and then want to hit on the recruiting trail as well. And then we actually had some breaking news. Actually, let's start with the breaking news and then we'll go to the recruits. So, you know, there's been this big conversation about uh, Jacksonville, the UGA Florida rivalry game being Jacksonville, how people want to switch it to Athens and Gainesville so they can host recruits. Well, as of two hours ago, Georgia and Florida both will now be allowed to host recruits in Jacksonville for the annual WL OCP cocktail party. We can say it here we're not we're not <laughs> we're not beholden by anything. So and that's huge for us because that's a big game. And that's another opportunity to get five-star recruits to see what the atmosphere is like if you come to Georgia and get to play in this game. Uh, the contract runs through 2023 as far as hosting the game in Jacksonville. So it may be a home-and-home home sooner than later. But some breaking news there. And while we're talking about recruits, I wanted to talk about the recent 
pickup that UGA had and four-star running back to Vonnie Mazel, AKA the boogeyman for the 2024 class, which is starting to look like it's going to be an offensive juggernaut with a five-star tight end and his four-star teammate from Colquitt County, Nye Carr, wide receiver. Now, we had talked a little bit about Tavani. Did you get a chance to look at any of his highlights? Did you have any thoughts on Tavani Mazel for 2024, Keeks? I, I did not get a chance to look at his highlights yet, but I have uh, just looking at on paper what they were saying about him. He just looks like a, a heck of a pickup and a top five running back in the top class. Five. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, 4.3940 as a junior. That's that's good. That's probably going to get a lot faster. So a speedster is an accurate description here. Well, if there's any, uh, you know, we've been at, at the like one and two spot recruiting, you know, however much you want to take into that. Still think it's more about team fit and uh, just overall talent evaluation vibes for the team. You know, there's deeper things. In those there's rankings. deeper things. Yeah. But, you know, we've been at a one and two level. If we could just, uh, you know, and if we so quote unquote take a dip this year at a number three oh my gosh not number three but you know if we take that kind of dip 2024 oh, no. <laughs> yeah 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 right whatever but 2024 looking strong looking real strong coming in looking like a number one kind of kind of year if we if they can do that which would be amazing in the nil nil era because uh we don't really know exactly how it could play out i mean teams like uj and alabama really could be uh Looking at you know trying to finish in top ten, being the success, you know it's going to change some things. If it came down to the money, yeah, it's going to change some things because you got to understand older schools, these Texas schools, they do have money, and some kids want the money. For you can judge them if you want to, you can understand if you want to. That's up to you, but it's going to affect the game. And again, how we can't really complain like, oh, Georgia and Alabama, they don't get their top classes. Like it's it's the game, like. For us, it's, again, identifying talent, like you said, locking down the state and just convincing kids that, hey, we're going to put you in the league. You're going to have a chance to win championships here. Kirby's here in the, for the long run. You're set. You're set. Uh, and, absolutely. And then yeah, last exactly. but not least, I wanted to just mention that we do have an alert for another recruit, five-star wide receiver out of Florida, which bodes well for us. Hakeem Williams is set to make his commitment September 23rd and by all reports at this point it is to be between uga and texas atm so we do have some competition with said money but i think this would be a huge huge get for brian mcclendon and a good way for him to announce his return to uga by scooping up a five star and showing texas a&m that you got to have a little bit more than a bank account to compete for these players like so come <laughs> come get some come get some shine over here my guy and i think that would be that'd be good for uga so five stars always hey hey did you see that video of this will be my closing remarks did you see that video of jordan davis i thought he was at a high school practice <laughs> hey, there's a viral video going out if you guys haven't seen it yet i don't know what you're doing but it's Jordan Davis is just pushing a uh, Philadelphia Eagle lineman back like it's dang elementary school, and there's a dude with a mustache out. Bless that kid. Bless that kid's heart, man. He he was yeah. trying everything to dig his dig his legs into the ground. He he's glad probably glad he didn't because he would have snapped his legs in half <laughs> if they would have stuck on them cleats. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Jordan, Jordan Davis is not to be trifled with. It's good to see some of these dogs having instant success. And as I said. 
George Pickens. George Pickens should have been drafted way earlier, and he's already making some noise. Unfortunately, there's no one to throw to him in, in Pittsburgh, but watch out for him. They've already tagged him as a starter. He's going to be one of those rookies that has some big numbers early on. So I told you so. That's exactly. But of course, Dog Nation, we, uh, we appreciate that. Hope that you did well on the trivia. Hope that you at least got a passing grade. I tried to throw some lobs up there. Keegan and some other fans had some different ideas. They wanted to hit you with the stats, but that's okay. Never go to a trivia night. You'll be ready just in case. And um, as fall camp progresses, we will keep you up to date with any major news. Uh, but until then, the countdown 24 days to UJ Oregon continues. Dog Nation, it's been a pleasure. Keegan, always appreciated. And as always, guys, you know what it is. Unleash. Dogs. Do it for the dogs. Do it for the dogs. Do it for the dogs. I do it for the dogs.